Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Encouragement Expert Podcast. We're glad you're joining us today. Let's join Pastor Wes Doffenbaugh as he speaks an encouraging word titled, Pray for the Puppets. Praise the Lord. It's a delight to be with each of you today. I've got a wonderful message from the Lord that has really been life-changing for me, and I... I uh, can't hardly wait to get into it, but let's say a prayer. Father, we want you to speak to us by the Holy Spirit, change and purify our lives so that you can bring your will uh, to effect in the earth, and we can be a major part of that. We ask it in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Now, recently, uh, God impressed this phrase on my spirit, a commandment, and this here's what it is. Pray for the puppets which is the title of this message. Now, people who have been taken captive by the devil to do his will, those are puppets. They're not, the devil is controlling them. So in the natural, we, we don't see the spiritual puppet strings. We don't see the puppet master. These are evil spirits that are manipulating people to do Satan's will. What we see are thoroughly disgusting people. I mean, uh, the ones... I suppose there's people that are controlled by Satan that don't look disgusting, but the point is there's there's many who we would find just disgusting, uh, but we need to see them as puppets controlled by the devil and have compassion on them. All right, now, have you ever heard of a, a in a classroom, some kid needs to go to the bathroom or something, he wants to be dismissed from the class, so the teacher will give him a hall pass. That means he can leave the class uh, and, and so Satan gives us a hall pass, so to speak, that excuses us from the Holy Spirit's class. He's our teacher. And this hall pass in, excludes us from the Holy Spirit's instruction. Now, with that pass, we exit the class on intercession, revival, and compassion for the lost. And just as a student with a hall pass walks away from class, we walk away from praying for the lost because many of them are just disgusting. So we have our excuse as to why we don't need to pray for them. And uh, we need to throw these excuses. We need to throw away the hall pass, so to speak, and get back into class where the Holy Spirit is teaching us. Now, every month, you know, I give one new monthly message, so I always pray and ask God, what do you want to say to the people? And this is what God is saying to me, what he's, work, he's working on me to bring a new level of purity and power in my prayer life. And uh, God definitely gave me this message to practice, but I want to share it with you because I believe we all need to practice it. And, and uh, my opinion is there's Almost everybody that hears this message is, is going to feel like you really needed to hear it. Now, here's my first point. God wants us to pray for the salvation of disgusting people. Uh, Paul wrote in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, First of all then, first of all, he says, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Now, this scripture is proof that God wants us to pray for the most disgusting of all people, because it tells us to, first of all, 
we're supposed to pray for everybody, but then it says, first of all, pray for the kings of this world and all who are in high positions. So God is telling us to pray for the puppets because in this world, the most wicked people rise to the top of governments and governmental positions as a general rule. Now, there are exceptions where the righteous rise to the top of government, but a general rule is that you'll find the most wicked and disgusting people in high government positions, and I'm going to tell you the reason why. When Satan tempted Jesus, he promised Jesus the highest earthly governmental position as a temptation, and the Gospel of Luke records this. It says, And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Luke chapter 4, 5 through 8. Now, what did Satan mean? It has been delivered to me. Well, the earth and its authority was given to Adam. The earth was given to mankind, and Adam was given dominion over the earth. But when Adam and Eve, Eve first was tempted by the devil to eat a forbidden fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it wasn't an apple, all right? It was a, a different kind of fruit. Uh, but then Adam took it and ate it, and by following uh, the suggestion and the will of the serpent instead of God, uh, he delivered over his authority and dominion to Satan. Now then, Satan gives it to people who uh, honor him, who are idolaters or rebels or somehow are following evil. And so uh, there are exceptions to this, but I've noticed and I believe it's accurate that the most wicked, stupid, greedy idolaters, I call them political pirates, tend to rise to the top of earthly governments all over the earth. The governments tend to be oppressive. And this is why Jesus told us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when we're praying that the kingdom of God would manifest on earth, we're praying for the governments of this world to be done away with and that righteous government from God would be established. Now, Isaiah was a, such a wonderful prophet, and his book, Isaiah, is such a magnificent book of the Bible. But he wrote in chapter 32, Behold, a king will reign in righteousness, and princes will rule in justice. Each will be like a hiding place from the wind, a shelter from the storm, like streams of water in a dry place, like the shade of a great rock in a weary land. Now that's describing Jesus as that king reigning in righteousness, and the princes are those who are going to rule and reign with him, who have been conformed to his image, so that rather than oppressing people, they'll be wonderful servants and uh, servant leaders, ministering in love and justice and faithfulness, so that they'll be like a hiding place from the wind, a shelter from the storm, like streams of water in a dry place, like shade of a great rock in a weary land." 
Now, regarding the kings of this world, Jesus said the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves, Luke chapter 22. Now, Jesus is basically calling the kings of the Gentiles hypocrites because they're lording it over the people. That means they're abusing the people with their authority, but they're calling themselves benefactors as if they're giving great service <laughs> uh, to the people. So what does that mean? Well, that means they're disgusting. They're hypocrites. They're disgusting. Now, when Paul admonishes us to pray for all people, he starts by telling us to pray for kings and all in authority, and that would have included Emperor Nero. Now, Nero was uh, the greatest of all the Gentile kings at the time, the emperor of Rome. And it, it's arguable to say this, but he was probably the most disgusting of all humans alive at that time. And yet Paul is admonishing us to pray for the kings, all those who are in high position, and then for everybody else. Now, my second point is that there's a lie printed on that hall pass. Remember I told you the hall pass is from the devil who wants to excuse us from the Holy Spirit's class so that we don't learn anything about prayer for revival, prayer for the lost. Now, this excuse Satan gives us uh, says on it, this is the lie, these people are so disgusting, they're such hypocrites that they'll never turn and repent. They'll never get saved. It's a waste of time to pray for them. Now, that's a lie. And if we believe that, that becomes our excuse to fail to pray for the kings of this present world and for all who are in authority. And the vast majority of them aren't godly people. In fact, I would call them disgusting people, hypocritical people. But whoever they are and to whatever degree of hypocrisy they are walking in, God still desires for them to be saved. But the Bible says he's not willing for any to perish. Now, when we pray for them in the proper way, Paul said, this is good and pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Well, would you like to do something good and pleasing in the sight of God? Then pray for the leaders that you find the most disgusting. And in the past, I used to pray, God, make them do the right thing. Give them wisdom. Tell them they're on the wrong course. I don't believe that's the most effective prayer. I think we should be praying that God would save them and pray in compassion that they would be brought to repentance. So... It, it, would be, it would be more pleasing to God if we believed, not only prayed for them, but believed that God is great enough and loving enough to save these disgusting people. And once when the crowd was so great, Jesus got into a boat while the crowd stood listening at the water's edge. That way they couldn't step on him. So he was out a little ways in the boat addressing the crowd. And after he finished speaking, he said to Peter, because he was using Peter's boat, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon Peter answered him and said, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. They fished at night. It, 
and he said, but because you say so, I'll let down the nets. In other words, he didn't believe they were going to catch a thing, and he only did it just because Jesus said to. But when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners, that would have been uh, John and James, and uh, in, in the other boat, and they came to help them, and then they filled both boats so full that the boats began to sink. That's in Luke chapter 5. Now, our attitude is like Peter's when we think, I should pray for all the kings and all those who are in authority, uh, but I seriously doubt it's going to make any difference. See, we're just like Peter thinking, all right, I'll let down the nets, but I've fished all night and we haven't caught anything. And so uh, Peter had this doubting attitude, but he did put out into deep water and he did let down in the net the nets. So... Uh, that's what we need to do. We need to pray for all to be saved <clears throat> and start praying that the most disgusting among them would somehow have a confronta uh, uh, an encounter with God and the love of God and come to be given repentance and be changed and become a new creature in Christ Jesus. Now, we tend to reverse this whole process. We pray for those we think might come around to Christ and we completely leave off praying for those that we find the most disgusting. So if we would like to have a huge catch of men, you know, Jesus said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Well, if we'd like a huge catch of revival that fills our church buildings to capacity so that they can't hold the crowds, then we've got to renounce the lie that we've been believing throw away our excuses and justifications for our lack of prayer and pray with believing hearts that God even wants the most evil and disgusting people to be saved. Now, my third point, it's just a terrible thing to perish. If people aren't born again or born of the Spirit or what we say called saved, then they'll perish. And that means they'll be, their, their spirit man will and their soul will be eternally lost and go to the place God prepared for the devil and his fallen angels. But Peter wrote, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise if some have, have understood slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance, 2 Peter 3, 9. Now, I want to tell you the story of Jim Wolford, and he has written a book called uh, Heaven and Unexpected Journey, and you can uh, Googled him on YouTube or on YouTube, just put in Jim Wolford's testimony and you can hear him tell the story. Now, he uh, had this terrible disease that brought uh, excruciating pain to him. So one day he took too many pain pills and died and his spirit was taken through a tunnel and it came out into a place with paradise on one side and a chasm into hell on the other. And he was standing on this beautiful green grass, like is in paradise, made of light. But as he looked to one side, the grass became brown and then black and then burned to a crisp. And so he walked over, his spirit man walked over, and, and he looked down this vast crevice and the walls were jet black like anthracite coal. And at the bottom, there was a fire and smoke and, and the smell of sulfur and death and decay. It was the fires of hell. And on the side of this wall, an ancient door creaked open. 
and out of this black wall came a huge demon. He, he said in one of these interviews it was about 60 feet tall. Well, it looked around, and then it looked up, and it saw him up at the top. And immediately it began to climb rapidly up those walls, and it was it, this demon spirit was all aflame, like it was in torture itself, burning with the fires of hell. And he said voices were coming out of the inside of that great big 60-foot demon as if he'd swallowed other people, and now they were crying out from inside. And this thing got up on top of that, uh, you know, the plateau where he was standing, and it said in kind of a whisper-growl combination, Jim, Jim. We've come for you. Come with us. You belong with us. And he's, Jim said that this demon had great big fangs and was drooling. Its eyes were filled with total hate for him and for God and for all mankind. Now, why does the devil hate mankind? Well, God created man in the image of God. God gave the earth to man. And God assigned the angels to serve mankind. My personal opinion is Satan heard that plan and I don't know for certain why Satan rebelled, but I've my hunch is that uh, the whole rebellion of Satan had to do when God said, let us make man in our image. Anyway, we know for certain the devil absolutely hates people. He hates even the people that are out doing the most horrible sins, what we'd call servants of the devil. He hates them too. He hates them all. Well, anyway, this big old spirit was just about ready to uh, grab Jim, and he, uh, when he had, just before he died, he felt himself dying, and he said these three words, God, forgive me, all right? And then he died, and his spirit went up and stood on this plateau between heaven and hell. And uh, when that demon was right ready to devour him, he turned and looked away from it, turned his back to it, and said, God, help me. And that old beastly demon, let its, its claw went down his back as if it just barely missed him. And uh, three angels appeared, and <clears throat> their bright light frightened that uh, demon, and it uh, yelped and jumped back down into the pit. Well, then he, he came to Christ. Of course, he saw heaven. He saw Jesus. Uh, he came back a completely changed man because... Uh, um, now, anyway, you can listen to his story yourself, and I recommend that you do. But he explained that he had never prayed in his life. He'd been a successful airplane pilot. He'd made a lot of money. He owned a lot of stuff. Uh, but he developed that disease and then overdosed on pain pills. Now, someone found his body in his truck and took it to the hospital, and they put him on a machine that kept his organs alive until family members could be notified, but he had no brain waves at all for 11 hours. So, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're supposed to be dead when you don't have any brain waves. <laughs> so <clears throat> his spirit was out of his body, but they were keeping his body warm on this machine. Now, as he stood on this beautiful heavenly landscape with those angels, he said that his pilot's instincts, because he'd been an airplane pilot, he was trying to get his bearings. There was no sun in the sky, no moon, and uh, no stars. Uh, and so he was trying to just orient himself. And uh, 
he was asking himself, am I northeast, am I southwest? And then as he scanned the, he said this, then I, as I scanned the vault of heaven, I spotted something like streaks of brilliant light going straight up. They appeared to my pilot's mind as contrails, as I might have seen in the earth's skies behind an aircraft. Contrails are the water vapor in the exhaust of jet engines that becomes frozen into crystals in the stratosphere. They appear as thin streaks of cloud to us on the earth. But these contrails in heaven were very different. They were more brilliant and appeared to paint the sky of heaven as vertical streaks, not horizontal, as I might have seen on earth. And besides, there were no aircraft in heaven. I looked at the warrior angel and pointed upward, asking, what are those? His reply brought me to tears. James, those are the prayers of your family for your soul. They're coming up to heaven before God even now. I'm continuing to quote from his book. They were contrails of prayer. In the blaze of heaven's glory, I had almost forgotten my earthly life. I learned later that when Lorraine, which is his wife, was told what happened to me, that I was beyond hope, she and her sisters, Shelley, Jean, and Karen, my brother-in-law, David, and Jean's son, Matthew, gathered in our home to pray in a prayer circle. There were six in the prayer circle, and there were six contrails of prayer coming up to heaven. They were led to pray that the Lord would send me back. It seems the group was praying in agreement with what God had already decided to do. Our faithful petitions to God paint the vault of heaven as contrails of prayer coming up before God as we pray, unquote. That's from page 97 and 98 of his book, Heaven and Unexpected Journey. Now, Jim Wolford almost perished without prayer coming up from those six people. That big old demon devil thing would have devoured him and he would have spent eternity in fiery torment crying out with the other eternally lost souls, never a drop of relief, never a second's pause of terror or torment. Now, think of the people that you find most disgusting. Would you rather they burn in hell forever? Or would you rather they be transformed into believers who worship God with humble and renewed hearts? Now, it's not God's will that any of them should perish. God wants them all to come to repentance. They have a free will, so God can't make them uh, turn to Christ. But he wants them to. Now, Here's the question. Do our prayers for kings and all those in authority and for people everywhere, do they paint the skies of heaven with contrails of light coming up to the throne of God? Wouldn't most of us have to say, my prayers have been more like God, wipe them out. God, take them off the board. Uh, I, I just, uh, I think we have a whole lot of room for repentance and, uh, and a change in our hearts as we pray for people, we need to pray with compassion and, and not want the devil to have any satisfaction in the death and destruction of one single person. Now, my fourth point is we need a Christ-like attitude towards those who oppose us. Now, this is what I call a sweet spirit verse, one that we should all memorize. It's 2 Timothy 24, verse 26, and verse 26. And Paul wrote this, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, 
God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. I'm going to read it. That was the ESV translation. I'm going to read it in uh, the NIV. And this translation says, Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, that they'll come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Now, that's the definition of a puppet. A puppet is a person who's been taken captive by the devil and then manipulated into doing the devil's will. So we're supposed to pray in an attitude of hope that God will give them a spirit of repentance, lead them to the knowledge of the truth so that they'll come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil. Notice again, they're mere puppets. They're captured and they're they're now used by the devil as puppets to do his will. But yet, there's hope for them. Now, we can tell who is perishing by their level of animosity towards us. You can't tell everybody that's perishing. But certainly the ones that hate Christians the most, that's a big sign that they're lost. Now, Paul wrote this, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere, for we are the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, to the one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16. Now, evil, disgusting people who are one heartbeat away from hell find true servants of God as disgusting, as the smell of death and decay. They would say to us, you stink. Well, this is happening now in America. Many, many people in the government, uh, and this is nothing new, but it's certainly the case now. Many people in government have, taken capt- have been taken captive by the devil, and, and they're in the process of perishing. They've been taken captive to do the devil's will, and they're mere puppets. Now listen carefully. They aren't the source of evil. They're only the puppets that evil spirits manipulate. And as such, there's hope for them. You can't pray for the devil to get saved. All the devils and demons are are permanently doomed. There's no forgiveness for them. But there is for these people that are still alive. Now, the puppet master, the devil and his demons that manipulate and control them, like I said, they're irredeemable. They're already condemned to the eternity in the lake of fire. Uh, They haven't been thrown in there yet. So they're still on earth tempting and pressuring people and causing trouble. But these puppets, these people, they still have an opportunity. And God may give them a spirit of repentance, help them come to the knowledge of the truth and escape uh, this destruction that is out ahead of them. Now, we've got to remember what Paul said. Listen. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We, this is Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Now, we're in grave error when we look at these puppets as if they are the puppet masters, the source of evil. 
Now, you may have heard about the Illuminati. They're supposed to be a secret group who plan to control the world and have a one-world government, one-world order. And uh, there's all kinds of conspiracy theories as to who they were or that who they are now. But friend, I don't need to know. And you don't either. It doesn't matter who they are. If there is such a group, they're all just puppets. Our real enemy is always the devil. Now, the devil isn't going to tell you he's the real enemy. He's going to point to some group of people and say, that's the Illuminati. That's the people that are going to destroy you. That's your enemy. Oh, he'll just misdirect you. Uh, he's the enemy. All right? So the people, no matter who they are, even if they were in some secret group trying to control the world, they're not your real enemy. <laughs> They're supposed to be prayed for in compassion. They're supposed to be on your prayer list. Maybe you would find those people the most disgusting. Well, put them on your prayer list. Now, my fifth point, pray for the puppets, but don't fret about them. God spoke through David in Psalms 37 and said, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of evildoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Now, uh, that word befriend faithfulness there made a great impression on me. I was driving uh, from Cresswell, Oregon, all the way over to Ontario, Oregon, Oregon, about a 400-mile drive one way. And I was listening to the Bible, and I, I heard that phrase, and I believe it's the ESV translation. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. That went deep into my spirit. And I realized I could add that into a sermon that I was going to preach. I was going to preach a message, say what God wants to hear. And that message gives spiritual strategies to help us live in, a, in God's supernatural provision and protection, no matter what chaos or national judgment is happening. So in July of 2016, God spoke to me and said, I have one word for America. It's not destruction. It's disruption. I could give America destruction right now, but I'm going to give America more time to repent. So I'm giving America disruption. Then I perceived that this disruption was going to be vast nationwide and affect every area of life. Then God said to me, don't give me disruption. And he said it sternly, as a father would warn a child. Then immediately, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 came to me. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the uh, will of God in Christ Jesus for you. All right, now what God meant was don't give me, don't give me disruption. You're supposed to rejoice always. Don't give me a big, long dis disruption in your prayer life pray without ceasing and don't uh, don't grumble and gripe and complain and give me a great big bunch of disruption in your thanksgiving I, I knew that he meant uh, he would be with me in a powerful wonderful way if I didn't give him disruption he'd be with me through all the disruption that would come now that came three and three years and eight months later COVID-19 March of 2020 and that disruption that disrupted the nation and the world now, here's my, my perception is that we're in a bit of a lull just before another wave of disruption comes. This is my perception that unless God intervenes, which he could, there's going to be a great disruption in our energy supply 
and it's going to disrupt our electricity. It's going to disrupt our food supplies. It's going to disrupt our ability to travel and our very freedom of movement. Now, when God spoke to me, don't give me disruption, he implied very strongly that if I didn't give him disruption, he would be with me in a strong and wonderful way and care for me and care for my family uh, through whatever disruption may come. So I concentrate on obeying this spiritual strategy every day, see? I want to rejoice always. I don't want to catch myself grumbling and griping. I want to give thanks in all things, and I want to pray without ceasing, which means I want to have a regular prayer time uh, in the morning, and then I want to talk to God off and on throughout the day. Well, uh, I concentrate on that. Now, when, when, uh, when I heard that phrase, dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness, I thought that's the attitude we're supposed to have towards that verse in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, when the Bible says, uh, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. Many people would say, I don't want to do that. That's a bummer. That sounds like the law. I'm under the grace of God. I want the grace of God to keep me and bless me. Even if I do give God all kinds of disruption, I don't want to rejoice always. I don't want to pray without ceasing, and I sure don't want to give thanks in all circumstances. Now, Satan likes to redefine grace so that it becomes something other than God means it to be. And this false grace gives people a false confidence that we don't have to obey God in anything. It's like an excuse, like a hall pass, to never obey God. You don't need to obey God anymore. You're under grace. Now, real grace gives us strength and character, both the desire and the ability to obey God. I want to obey God. I wrote a song once. I like obeying you. That feeling's running in my veins. I like obeying you. And I am one of those who reigns in life through Jesus, and I'll do whatever he may say. Lord, come what may. I like obeying you. I love that little song. I wrote it while I was uh, working on the roof of a garage. Had to come down and write another verse, get back up on the ladder, come back down and write another verse. Well, I want to rejoice always. I want to pray without ceasing. I want to give thanks in all circumstances. Not just so I'll be delivered in perilous times, but so that I might be pleasing to my Father all the time in close, intimate, unbroken fellowship. So that's our attitude that we should have. And we should call this strategy our friend. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Don't, don't think that Bible verse is a burden to you. Now, that same psalm says, fret not yourself because of evildoers. And it also says, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It, it ends only in evil. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord will inherit the land. Now, the devil wants Christian people to fret about disgusting government officials. But we can't fret and intercede at the same time. We can't pray for kings and all in authority if we're busy fretting about how evil they are. The fretting negates prayer and thus leads to our own evil. Evil can be sin of commission, what you do, 
or sin of omission, what you don't do. Now, what is this evil then that might wipe us out? Is it the corrupt government or is it our lack of prayer for kings and all those in authority? Now, I urge you vote for the best candidates you can find. Make sure you vote. But make prayer for the most disgusting people a part of your prayer life. Now, I've never done this. I've tried to pray for those in authority, but I've always become disgusted with them. I'd, I'd pray God would give them wisdom to do the right thing, but see, they're lost. They're not going to do the right thing unless God absolutely forced them, uh, which he's not likely to do. But I never really prayed for them to be saved. Now, I would tend towards prayer, God, take them out, wipe them out. And I think that made God very sad. So I thought, well, I'll pray without ceasing. I'll ask God to help me and protect me and use me every day. Now, that's good. But God doesn't want us just praying about and for ourselves without ceasing. I think he gets tired of hearing nothing but prayers for ourselves. <laughs> There's so much to pray about. So many people are lost. So many haven't heard the good news of God's love. So many are suffering. Now, since God answers prayer and works through prayer, he'd like us to pray a lot so he can do a lot through those prayers. To have our prayers purified and move into a higher level, however, then we've got to add in prayers for those who are perishing. We've got to add in prayers for the disgusting puppets of Satan who've been taken captive to do his will. We've got to pray for people who find us to be a basket of deplorables or semi-fascists or domestic terrorists. And rather than fretting about that, we should just start praying earnestly for them. Now, if we think about what they want to do to us, <laughs> we'll fret. But that would tend to our own evil, the evil of omitting the prayers God wants us to pray. We should be thinking about what God wants to do to them, and that would be to save them, rescue them, and change them. Now, you remember when Jesus was needed to pass through Samaria, and they wouldn't receive him because he was headed towards Jerusalem. And James and John thought that'd be a good opportunity to call fire down from heaven like Elijah did when some troops came to arrest him. And so they said, uh, Lord, shall we, uh, shall we call down fire on these people and, and wipe them out? And Jesus turned around and rebuked them and said, you know not what manner of spirit you are of, for the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And then they went on to another village. So we've got to remember the Lord wants us to pray that they'll be given a spirit of repentance and that they won't perish. It's the devil that wants to kill them and take them to hell. My sixth point, we could be helping the devil hold people captive. Now, in the book, Heaven Awaits the Bride is a book of uh, spiritual revelations given to Anna Roundtree. She relates visions and visitations by the Lord Jesus. And in one spiritual encounter, Jesus took her in the spirit and showed her uh, what was a, a, a river of, of, uh, of filth. And she said, uh, we came to a levee that sloped down into a black lagoon. The water was filthy, sluggish, and stagnant. The smell was putrid. Jesus uh, helped me into a long pirogue. I guess that means a long uh, canoe. I sat down, but he stood and pulled us across the narrow water with his staff. The water boiled and emitted steam every time his staff plunged into it. Jesus said, this is a river of filth, 
as the river of life is clear, so this one is putrid and defiling. It issues from the mouths of sinful man. As rivers of living water come from the belly of my righteous ones, so out of the blackened heart, through the mouth, comes this watery filth. And then she says, I could see creatures lying on the banks and hear them breathing. They appeared to be crocodiles, but they made blowing sounds through their nostrils like hippos. Their eyes shone in the dark. And she says, caves lined the levees, and an occasional cry or moan came from them. I felt that the sounds that I had heard when we walked through the gate came from these caves. They looked like dungeons with demons guarding the entrances. But who or what was imprisoned there? The demons uttered low, guttural chuckles at the obvious pain of those imprisoned. They enjoyed someone else's pain. And then the Lord said, Observe the misery. Listen carefully. My people participate in this, enjoying the downfall of another, laughing at the mistakes of others, and holding them in their chains instead of setting the captives free, unquote. I looked towards the dark entrances of the caves. Within these dungeons, the enemy held captive certain areas in the lives of humans on earth. Christians, instead of helping to set the captives free, were tightening the chains of condemnation that held them in bondage. Christians were siding with the jailers against the Lord by nullifying the provision of forgiveness and reconciliation that he had made for them through his shed blood. Now that's from page 68 and 69. I've read that many times, but I didn't think that I was one of the Christians helping hold anybody in bondage. Now, these caves aren't in hell. They're places in the spirit. Remember, the people were on earth. So this is just the way things looked in the spirit. You know, I believe Hunter Biden is a captive of one of these caves, in, in one of these caves. Now, everybody would admit that Hunter Biden has a whole bunch of problems. But how many Christians are earnestly praying that God would keep him from being devoured by the devil? I don't think hardly any Christians are praying. I think almost all of the Christians are helping the devil hold him in bondage by their mocking attitude and seeing him as a disgusting person rather than as a, as a victim of Satan, someone who needs the love of God, someone that could be changed into a wonderful person by God's grace. Now, you can name any political leader you want to. I don't have to name them. You've probably got your own list. Um, we could include the, the homeless people. Sometimes they look disgusting. Uh, or lawless shoplifters that come in in a mob and flash mob and just uh, tear everything out of stores. Maybe uh, I don't personally like the people that are pushing the transgender perversions. Or how about the people that just think, I'm, I'm not too bad. Well, you know, they're all lost sinners. Now, I've asked myself, would I enjoy the downfall of Hunter Biden? Would I enjoy it if he went to prison? He might need to go to prison, but I shouldn't enjoy it. I should just be earnestly praying that somehow he could come to Christ. So, you know what I think? I think that most Christians, including myself, haven't gotten past first grade when it comes to praying for revival. See, if we really want revival to come, then we want God's presence and mercy to come to sinners 
who are disgusting in their sins, as well as the sinners who aren't quite so disgusting. Now, my seventh point has an A and a B. So first, 7A. Now, we've got to get motivated, and there are three powerful motivations to place in our hearts. So let's look at Paul's writing. First of all, he said, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. So you can thank God for the good ones that are in authority. Then he says, for kings and all those in high position, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Now, in the past, I tried to be motivated with only one motivation, and that was, if I don't pray for these political leaders, they're going to get us all killed. Well, I believe that's true. If we want to live peaceful lives and quiet lives, we better pray for the kings and all those who are in high position. Pray that they'll deal with problems in ways that work and have common sense approaches. For instance, all the, all the stuff governments around the world are trying to do about climate change Many of these things are, are working against us, uh, unplugging whole, uh, plunging whole nations back into poverty, lack of electricity, extremely high energy costs, and food scarcity. There's got to be a proper way to deal with it. There's, there's new technologies such as hydrogen. There's new battery technologies that could store for long periods of time wind and solar energy. Well, those technologies need to be developed what I'm saying is we need to be motivated to pray for them for our own sake, all right? Now, uh, a second motivation is we want to pray for them because it would please God to hear us praying loving prayers of compassion for those people. It would please him because he doesn't want them to perish. And then third motivation would be that we don't want the devil to have any satisfaction of gobbling up another human that he hates made in the image of God, the, the, the person was made in the image of God, so even if they're fallen into great sin, uh, we, don't, we shouldn't want the devil to have any satisfaction of taking out another one for eternity. So those are three powerful motivations. Now, we've got to not be impatient and forget how to pray. So when Jim Wolford was in his near-death experience, an angel told him this, and he wrote, with a gentle look of reproach in those beautiful violet eyes, the angel told me that sadly, mankind is losing the will to pray. He said, we've become on earth a culture of instantaneous gratification. With our so-called advances in technology, communication is now at our fingertips and we want everything now. Without thought of consequence, we pray to God for some request on Sunday. And if it doesn't appear by Tuesday, we think God doesn't care or isn't listening. And the angel said, this simply is not true. God hears, our, God hears your every petition. And in fact, it's recorded and, and, and noted in the, in the halls of knowledge in heaven. Well, we've got to pray specifically then uh, more than just Lord save them. So I've been asking the Lord, okay, Lord, I want, to, I want to pray for them. Teach me how to pray. Now, this is 7B, my seventh point, part B. Specific things to ask God for in prayer in regard to the lost. Number one, pray that God will let them hear the right things. Paul wrote, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Romans 10, 14. Secondly, pray that God will help them read the right things. The prophet Isaiah prophesied 
that a king named Cyrus was going to order the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem and reestablish the Jewish nation. Then Isaiah died, and that came to pass long after Isaiah had passed from the earthly scene. Uh, king, uh, the Persian king Cyrus was reading his own name in scripture and was inspired by God to fulfill his will. Well, we need to pray that God will help the lost read various books and testimonies that would enlighten them and draw them to Christ. Thirdly, let's pray that God will let them see the right things. The lost need to see a demonstration of God's power. Now, if the lost were to go into almost any church in America, there'd be almost no demonstration of power which means the American church is sick. It's sick. There should be a power display in our churches. At the close of services, we should gather together and pray for people in the name of Jesus. People should be getting healed, saved, delivered, set free from addictions. We should absolutely repent on our face if our churches have no display of power. That's sick. And that describes almost all American churches. Well, the lost need to see the right things. Paul said, in my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest upon the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. 1 Corinthians 2, 3 through 5. Now see, the American church is getting people's faith to rest on words alone, what the preachers say. Well, there needs to be a demonstration of power. Therefore, let's pray that the lost would see a demonstration of power. And fourth, let's pray that God will help them meet the right people. Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, wicked King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon met Daniel. Daniel was a prophet. He had three godly friends. That led to the king's conversion. The great Persian king who was influenced to save the Jews instead of destroy them, he met Mordecai and godly Queen Esther. Well, pray that they meet the right people. Number five, pray that they will perceive the right things. Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, and when he comes, he'll convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Well, conviction of sin is a strong pull to God himself. Conviction of righteousness is necessary to show that either you're already righteous or that if you'll receive Jesus, you'll become righteous and that you'll have heaven as a free gift uh, and eternal life as a free gift. And then conviction of judgment is necessary to fear the Lord, to know that there's a judgment of, of that's going to take you one way or the other. Uh, we'll all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, we want the lost to feel that convicting power of the Holy Spirit in whatever way is appropriate to them. And then number six, we should pray that they'll feel the right things. In other words, feel love. I read about one left-wing young man who attended a Donald Trump rally, and he was amazed at how friendly the people were to him. Well, a lot of the lost people think that Christians are hateful, bigoted. You know, they, they have this... Uh, caricature of what we'll be like, and they need to feel the love of God coming through us. So we should pray, Lord, let your love flow through me, but let those people feel your love. Number seven, pray they would desire the right things. And so, uh, you know what, a lot of lost people, before they get saved, they'll start thinking, there's got to be something more 
they might have all their possessions and take all their drugs and sex and whatever they can find, then they might think, you know, there's got to be something more. That's what we want them to come to their senses that way and then desire that something more. And that would be God. Number eight, we want to pray that God will raise up senders or sponsors. Because Paul wrote, how, how then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Now we need to pray that God will raise up cheerful givers then who will send the right people. And then how about sponsors that would send the right books to the lost so that they'd hear the right things, read the right things. And, uh, and meet the right people. I would like you to pray that God will raise up many more sponsors to help me send out the printed book, 21 Ways to Forgive, into prisons and into the adult and teen challenge centers. What if I had sponsors who provided these books to be mailed to political leaders? Now, wouldn't that be something? You know, the political leaders have families, and they almost certainly have many broken relationships that could only be healed through forgiveness. But you see, if we want them to read the right things, we should pray, God, help me send them the right things. Number nine, pray that God will let them experience the right things. Often people get healed before they get saved. I'd like God to send a, a, a great, massive healing revival. It would say there's some political leader that thinks Christians are terrible and ought to lock us all up in prison. Well, wouldn't it be nice if that guy got healed or that woman got healed by, in Jesus' name? Uh, they'd experience the right things. Then number 10, pray that God will help them come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil. Now here's my conclusion. When, when God's presence comes down, all those 10 things tend to happen at once. And that's when revival breaks out. We should pray that we would be carriers of God's presence and, and pray that we will be the right people for the lost to meet that they'd see Christ in us, hear Christ in us, feel Christ flowing from us, feel the love of God or the power of God flowing through us to help them and heal them. Well, I hope you'll join me. I've already been repenting. So once I repent, you know, I put it behind me. I don't wallow around in it. So I have repented for uh, treating people like they were disgusting, taking the hall pass from the devil, leaving the class of intercession, and uh, fretting over the wicked so that I sin uh, or have sinned uh, through the sin of omission uh, by failing to pray for them. So I've already repented. Now, join me. If you need to repent, do it. And then once you've repented, leave it. Don't, uh, uh, God will forget about it. He'll forgive you. He'll cleanse you. And then let's quickly move on into obedience. All right. Now, uh, a, a major strategy to protect us in times of disruption is to not give God disruption. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. So again, don't just pray merely for yourselves or for your protection or your provision, but include when you pray without ceasing, God help them hear the right things, see the right things, perceive the right things. Go through this list of 10 things. I'm gonna print it out. And uh, and I, and I'm gonna I'm gonna pray without ceasing throughout the day. I'm just gonna say, Lord, remember remember those people, they're captives of the devil. 
I want them to turn and come to their senses. I pray that you'll help them feel the right, to feel the love of God coming through people. Help them read something that'll produce faith. Help them see miracles. Help them experience miracles. Bring them to yourself, dear Lord. Now, I believe those kind of prayers are going to paint the vault of heaven with those contrails coming up from earth that will go up to the throne of God and uh, God will be pleased. This is good and pleasing. Who our Father, our Heavenly Father doesn't want anybody to perish. So I'm going to be practicing this message the rest of my earthly life. I want to paint the skies of heaven with my prayers for the lost. I hope you'll do the same. I love you. God bless you. If you would like to partner with us at Encouragement Expert, please email us at pastorbacker at gmail.com or you can write P.O. Box 485, Cresswell, Oregon 97426.